Hey, it's Cody Woodard, pastor of Renovation Church in Gallatin, Tennessee. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. I hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Who's excited to be in the house today? Well, hey, I just want to say again, welcome to all of our first-time guests. If you're watching online or in person, come on, Renovation Nation. Will y'all make some noise? Absolutely. Hey, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love to get to do so right after service. I will be right here, right after we finish up baptisms. We're excited about all that God is doing. And uh, I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart that um, it really is an honor to get to be your pastor. I don't take it for granted. It's a privilege. And, uh, and man, God has just been moving in and through this church ever since we launched. And uh, over the past couple months when the enemy thought that he would take us out because we couldn't meet in the building, we just got stronger. Amen. And, uh, and so we've been able to reach people all around the world. And when I say that, I'm not just telling you that because every single week we've had people from 20 different states, over 20 states watching and tuning in online. And so that's you right now. Let us know where you're watching from. But we've had people from Canada. We've had people from Mexico. We've had people from South Africa. We even had somebody from K- K- Kazakhstan. Is that how you say it, Kazakhstan? Come on, y'all give it up for Kazakhstan in the house today. But we really have a special, no longer a guest, but a family member who is, um, was watching, is probably watching online right now. And at the nine o'clock service, he actually hosted our Facebook live chat. And his name is Pastor Joseph, and he is from Nairobi, Kenya. And we've been able to reach a pastor in Kenya, come on. And uh, he hosted for us this last service and God really put it on my heart this morning. Um, and so this isn't a highly produced thing you're about to see, but God put it on my heart this morning because um, I met Pastor Joseph when I had an opportunity to speak in Long Beach, California at a, at a national pastor conference and got the chance to meet him. And uh, when I saw he was hosting, I just thought, you know, I need, to, I need to call him up and I would love for our church family to meet him because you've really been an impact in his life and didn't even know it. For the past couple months, he's called Renovation Home. And so this morning at like 7.30, right before we had our first service, I jumped on a Zoom call with him. And so I'd love for you to check this video out. I just wanted to connect with you and really like, I just wanted our church to be able to meet you um, because man, you're, you're a part of our extended family. You're a part of the renovation nation you're hosting online. Um, and so tell me you're in Nairobi, Kenya right now. Um, and yes. you're getting ready to plant a church. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Um, when I met you at Converge, I told you that, uh, I, I grew up from an orphanage since mm. I was six years, six years and a half. Mm. And I have been their pastor for 10 years, but then wow. the Lord began to, the Lord began to stretch my vision to, to plant a church in the community in a growing city. And mm. before then I became part of a cornerstone church in Arizona, cornerstone Christian yeah. fellowship in Arizona. Yeah. So, Pastor Lynn, the elite pastor, kept talking to, talking to me about Converge and Vision Arizona. Sure. And so when we met, I was about to complete my six months internship at Cornerstone. Okay. And, and in that process, I was writing about my vision and everything about the church plant. And I think at the time, Vision Arizona um, adopted me in to plant a church with me. And I think... Uh, uh, converge the bigger body should be able to do the same. So when I came back, I got a bit ill, you know, with pneumonia stuff, but I'm doing okay now. 
Good. Um, but then with the virus, everything went to a lockdown, even at the moment. So we yeah. had to put everything on, on hold with the church plant, but that's the process. Okay. Yeah, I understand, man. As you know, you've been watching online for weeks. So we started yes. back in person last week for the first time. This will be our second week back. And even now, the, the numbers are kind of uh, coming up, as some would say, uh, again. And so right now, we still do believe that it's safe for us to meet in person. Um, but we have definitely, um, I know what it's like to be a pastor, to be a church plant um, in the middle of trying to, to navigate a global pandemic. Um, mo most people may not know how coronavirus has affected uh, Nairobi, Kenya as well, but obviously you're experiencing the, um, the effects of that. And so here's the thing, man. Um, I didn't want to just jump on here because you're hosting for us today. Um, you may not know this, you may know, but one of the things that we do every month is a love one offering and the vision behind that is that we really uh we really do want to love on people and we want to let people know that god is for them so every month we take up a dollar above and beyond what we normally give and we give it to one person one organization one family in our community and around the world and so um when i found out you had been watching online and saw that you were willing to host for us this week as a part of our renovation nation family um today we're talking about finding community and I know as a pastor and as a church planter, that community can sometimes be hard to find. Um, to have people around you, it's very lonely. And so what I wanted to do today is to let you know um, that, man, this really is your family. And we love you. And we know other people are behind you. But we want to get behind what God is doing in your life as well. We want to support your ministry. And so today, um, we're going to be giving you $1,000 um, just to what? say how much we love you. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, wh when you spoke at Converge, somehow I fell in love with you and your vision and your heart for people. And we, we talked a bit, if you remember, but then after I came back home, I, I intentionally decided to follow your church. And I think part of that is because you believe in young people, you believe in vision, you believe in empowerment. And that's exactly the same struggle that I had making the transition yeah. to plant the church. So I came back and I've been following you, man. And uh, it, it's been fun. Actually, if I showed you my phone, I have downloaded um, the photos that you guys did on your church lounge. I yeah. downloaded guys who are doing the greeting at the door. <laughs> you can see. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Because I, I was... I'll be happy if I can send you my my vision for what I have. Sure, absolutely. Then going through your pictures as a church and what you guys did as, as your lounge, I'm coming up with a lounge program, so I might be sending it to you as well to look at it. But man, we are grateful with my wife for the $1,000, guys. I mean, you don't know what that means to us in this sure. season and such a difficult moment, but I love it. Thank you, man. Absolutely. Well, hey, it's our honor, man. It really is. And we wouldn't be here if we didn't have other faith communities, other pastors come alongside us. And so I just wanted to let you know, man, from my, from, from me to you um, and from our church to yours, uh, we're here for you. We, we look forward to, I look forward to building this friendship and figuring out how we can better partner other than just financially, but to come and, and help you launch, help you plant, um, whatever we can do uh, to be for you, man. We, we're for you. And so Pastor Joseph, thank you so much uh, for just oh. leaving in us and watching online. And, uh, and so, man, I love you so much. I hope that it helps. And um... isn't God good?
Man, again, thank you so much for your faithfulness. You know, in this past season, as we were able to meet um, in person, we were online only, um, God really did bless us and blessed us financially, blessed us with people who were generous. And y'all probably didn't know that y'all are helping plant a church in Kenya, but that's due to your generosity. So give yourself a hand for being faithful to God. And uh, I don't know if you caught this, he used the word converge a lot. Converge is a network that we are a part of, of church planners, because I believe as a man of authority, I need to be under authority. And so I need people speaking into my life and doing what we're doing. And, and so him and I are in the same network. And so again, thank you so much. And uh, it really is the heart of our church to help people follow Jesus and find community and to discover purpose because together we really do believe we can make a difference. And so, hey, Pastor Joseph, if you're watching, hey, we all just turn around and say hi, Pastor Joseph, to the camera one time right here. Come on. Hey, if you're watching right now, here's what we wanna give you the opportunity to do. Um, at the end of the service, we're not passing buckets today, but as I mentioned, the Love One offering, we gave him $1,000, but we actually wanna give you the opportunity to sow specifically into his ministry. So if you wanna give a dollar above and beyond what you normally give, you can drop that in a bucket on the way out, or you can go to our website, renovation.church slash give, and there's a button right there um, to do it. And so again, thank you guys. Y'all ready to get in the word? That oh no, that wasn't it. Y'all ready to get in the word? Come on, we are in week two of Life's Better This Way. And so if you're taking notes, today we're gonna to talk about finding community. Finding community. And really this idea, this vision statement of our church isn't something we made up. It's found in scripture. It's found in Acts chapter two. And so Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, to give you some context, this is the first century church. This is where we get the idea of why we do and how we do what we do. And so in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 42, it says this, check this out. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and the fellowship, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so that's why when you walk in, if you're a first-time guest here in your bag, you see message notes, you see a notebook there, because we really believe that leaders are learners, Amen. I got people all the time that will come up to me. They'll be like, Pastor Cody, I don't know why I use this voice every time, y'all, but like, that was a good message, man. And I'm like, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Like, What'd you get from it? Well, I don't know, but it was a good message. And I'm like, well, praise God, you know? And it's like life in the Bible is best applied, right? We don't want you to simply consume, but we want you to learn and be able to apply the scriptures to your life. And then it says that we're committed to fellowship, to hanging out. That's why we think it's important for you to not go through life alone, to find community because together we can make a difference. And they committed themselves to eating together. Come on, somebody. How many of you love some food? How many of you hungry right now? That's why we got pelican snowballs outside free for you right now. We want you to eat. And they committed themselves to prayer because without prayer, there's no power. That in their own strength, they can do nothing. And so they committed themselves to these things and they saw a great movement burst. And because of their faithfulness, we're here today. And so here's what I want you to write down. In this topic, I want to just give it to you from the very beginning. The greatest decision you will ever make in your life is who you choose to do life with. Let me say it again. The greatest decision that you'll ever make in your life is who you choose. Somebody say choose. choose. Who you choose to do life with. This decision will determine your future because you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. This decision to choose who you link up with, who you do life with, it'll decide. It'll decide how you raise your kids. 
It'll decide what jobs you take, what your interests are, what your hobbies are. It'll decide what you compromise on, what you don't compromise on. It'll, deci it'll decide the way you choose to make friends and be a friend. It'll, it'll, it'll decide the way you dress, what you wear, what kind of music you listen to. Your community is contagious. Too soon? Three people got it. Come on. Your community is contagious. Who you do life around, who you choose to link up with will affect your life. Now, there's some things you can't choose. You can't choose your family. Come on, somebody. You can't choose your parents. You can't choose where you live or what elementary school you go to. You can't choose if you're in a single family home or your parents are married. You can't choose if your family looks like the Brady Bunch or they look like the Adams family, right? Like you can't choose that. But what you can choose are your relationships because no one can make you fall in love with someone. No one can make you pick up the phone. No one can make you invite somebody to your house. No one can make you go to dinner with somebody and choose to buy them food. But your friendships, who you choose to do life with, is the most important thing about your life. And the Bible really does have a lot to say about the power of influence on your friends. And it's been said that you are the average of your five closest relationships. And so right now, if you think about the five closest people to you and you think about how they live, the way they live, if you were to put them on a one to 10 scale and you were to kind of rate them spiritually and emotionally and physically and financially, what you'll most likely discover is that you will be the average of your five closest relationships. And I love what it says in the book of Proverbs because it's so practical and, and it's just, it's, a, it's wisdom literature. And so this is what it says in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. What's it saying? It's saying you can catch stupid or you can catch wisdom, but you're going to catch something, right? Like if you, if you hang with wise people, you start to become wise. But if you hang with fools, you start to become Foolish. Remember when grandma used to say, you hang out with trash, you start to stink. Right? Why? Because you catch what you're around. That's why it says this in Proverbs 22. It says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot temper people or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Don't befriend angry people. Why? Because you'll learn to be like them. Don't befriend people who don't value marriage or you'll learn to not value marriage. Don't befriend people who are gossips or you'll learn to gossip. Don't befriend angry people or you'll become angry. How many of you seen this true in your life? You just start getting around somebody and you just kind of catch like even to the simplest things, even to like phrases. There's a phrase that, that I say a lot of times. I don't even know what it means, but it gets people going, right? And there's people around me and all of a sudden they'll start saying, come on, somebody. And people are like, what does that even mean, bro? And like, I don't know, but people just say it, right? Like because who you're around influences your life. And so if you're around people who don't have good character, you'll start to not have good character. If you hang around friends who buy cars that they can't afford, you'll start to buy cars you can't afford. But the opposite is true as well. If you start to hang around people who value Jesus, you'll start to value Jesus. If you start to hang around people with good character, you'll start to value good character. If you start to hang around people who invest into their marriage and raise their kids and prioritize their life, you'll start to invest into your marriage and raise your kids the right way and prioritize your life. Why? Because community is contagious. And so if you show me your friends, I will show you your future. And so here's why I share that with you. 
Here's what I really believe. And, and, and I'm telling you, I, I believe this with everything in me. That you are one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. That you may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. So really quick, I want to show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 9, as the first century church begins to start, there's a man by the name of Saul. Now, we know him as Paul who, write, who wrote half the New Testament. But here's what happens, and I'm going to show you that you could be one friend, one friend away. In Acts chapter 9, it says this. It says, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Why? Because up until this point, Saul was known as the chief persecutor of Christians. Not only did he hate on them, not only did he have them try to throw into prison, but he killed them. And so here this man is named Saul, and he's wanting to start hanging out with the disciples. And the disciples are like, hold up, bro. Like last week, you was killing us. You ain't about to join our life group. It's closed. Now you ain't about to get in, get in with us. But you're one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Watch this. In verse 27, it says, but Barnabas, somebody say, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. One man chose to talk about Paul and changed the course, not only of Paul's life, but of history. You may be one friend away, changing the course of your destiny. I remember as a kid, I grew up kind of going in and out of church, and I really wasn't a fan. A lot of times my parents would make me go, trying to be good parents and get me into church, and me and my brother would sneak out the back door and throw baseball in the parking lot, all right? And uh, it just wasn't for me, right? And I grew up, and I was an athlete, and my entire life, I, I was identified, I my identity was in being an athlete. It, it, was, it was in being popular. It was being well-liked. And so as I go through high school, I really don't really have much to do with church. I would say that I believed in God. I believed in church. I, I, I believed in Jesus. But like I talked about last week, there's a difference in believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. There's a difference in say you're following him, but actually following him. So I was one of those that was like, I acknowledge that he's true, but the problem is even the devil acknowledges that he's real. And so my whole life, I had nothing to do with him. I thought all it was about was a bunch of rules of what I had to do and not do. And it was boring, just to be honest. And so my identity was in who I was as an athlete. And I thought my dream, my plan for life would be to be a college athlete and one day go pro or whatever. In my senior year, I tore my meniscus in MCL. And all of a sudden, I found myself alone. I found myself in a depression. I found myself hurting. Because everything I'd worked for was wasted. This is what I thought. And so what I decided in that moment is I moved away. I wanted to start over. I moved to Memphis where none of my friends went. Because I was dealing with some things. Not just as an athlete, but recently I lost my little brother. I lost my grandmother. My parents were in the process of getting divorced for the second time. And so I get to college, and I'm there. And three days into college, I'm thinking, Who, what party can I go to to go get drunk? Where can I go get hammered? Because i got to find some friends. i got to find a community. And on that same day, as I was feeling that, and I was sitting in my dorm room, and I was depressed, I got a notification in my email that they had changed my roommate, the only dude I knew. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. 
And then in walks this six foot four Korean army guy. I'm like, oh, great. He's a senior. I'm like, what kind of senior lives in freshman dorms? And all of a sudden, he, he starts to ask me about life. And, um, and, and I don't know how, but we, we got into this conversation about faith. And we got in this conversation about God. And all of a sudden, he starts to share with me that a relationship with Jesus isn't about what you can do for him, but what he's done for you. That it's about his grace towards you, not your performance for him. And in that moment, in the first day I met this guy, I hit my knees and gave my life to Jesus. And my life's never been the same. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. But here's the problem. We never stop to evaluate who our friends are. We never take the time to stop and maybe think about the reason I'm not where I want to be. The reason I'm not doing what God has called me to do, it might be because I'm listening to people that don't have a map. And if you want to live out the future God has for you, you'll never live out that future with the wrong friends. You'll never be the right person when you're surrounded with the wrong people. And so we never take the time to stop and think and go, you know, am I asking them about what I should do in my life when they don't even have a vision for theirs? Listen, if they don't know where they're going and you're following them, you ain't going to go anywhere either. Right? Because your friends will impact your future. It changes. It determines where you're at 10, 20, 30 years from now. And so some of you might be thinking, so are you telling me that the reason I am where I am, doing what I'm doing, it's my friend's fault? No. I'm saying that you chose the friends you were with, that you have a choice. You made the choice to do life with the people that you do life with. And so today I just wanna take some time and I want us to stop and I want us to evaluate our community and the people who you do life with. And I want you to ask this question. What kind of friends do I have? What kind of friends do you have? Do you have the type of friends that when you're in pain and that when you're hurting and that when you're lonely and you reach out to them for help, do you have the type of friends that hand you a bottle or hand you the Bible? Do you have the type of friends that when you're, when you're hurting and you feel like you're alone, all of a the sudden they're not the ones picking up the phone? Do you have the type of friends that when you're down, they kick you down and they want you to stay down? Or do you have the type of friends who will build you up? Do you have the type of friends that will push you higher? You're the type of friends that believe the best about you rather than talking about you. Here's a good question. Um, are, are your friends good to you or good for you? Because there is a difference. Because you can have some family and you can have some friends that will be good to you, but that doesn't mean they're good for you. Drug dealers are really good to addicts. That doesn't mean they're good for them. There are people in your life that you are associating with and you're making decisions in your life thinking, well, they're good to me, so I need to hang around them. You do realize that love is given and access is granted, right? That you can love people without granting them access into your heart, into your life. And so who is around you? What kind of friends do you have? Do your friends want the best for you or do they manipulate you? Are your friends all about like what they can get from you? Or are they constantly trying to give something to you? Are they trying to make you better? Are they pushing you up or are they pulling you down? Because they'll only do one of the two. 
And so the, the problem is, is some of you have been forgiven, but you're not living free. And the reason why is because you'll never walk in freedom walking with the wrong friends. That if you want to experience freedom in this life, you got to check your circle. Turn to the person next to you, tell them, check your circle. Come on, tell the other person, check your circle. Don't be touching them, though, because community's contagious. Come on, somebody. Air five some people. But what kind of friends do you have? Because Proverbs 18 says that there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. So let me give you two things I won't let my friends do. I'm just going to shoot you straight. And I think you need to put these in your life. Two things that if you're my friend, I will not let you do. And that is to distract me from God's will for my life and continually tempt me to sin. If you're calling me a friend and you distract me from God's will for my life, you're not a friend. Because you're going to want what's best for me. And so if there's people in your life that are encouraging to do the very opposite thing that God is calling you to do, they're not your friend. They may look like a friend. They may be good to you, but they're not good for you. And, and so you know the way that if you're the average of your five closest friends, if you don't like your average, you know what to do, right? You remove the one with the lowest average. <laughs> you kick them out. You got to raise your averages. You got to find some friends. So what kind of friends do you have? I'm not going to be around people who are going to constantly tempt me to sin. I'm not, not going to hang around people who, after work, all they want to do is go and get hammered. I'm not going to hang around people who want to flirt with other women while I'm married. I don't roll that way, and you shouldn't either. So what kind of friends do you have? But here's what I would consider a more important question. What kind of friends do you need? Some of you are like, I just need some. Come on, somebody. I just need some friends. Hello. Hit me up. But let me just say this. If you come into this church three or four times and you don't leave with a phone number, you don't leave getting coffee with somebody, you missed it. Because this just isn't about a gathering of people on a Sunday. This is about a family. And we're trying to welcome you into the family. That's why we try to get you, we give you free coffee because we're hoping you can go to coffee with somebody. Right? Because we, we believe that life is best done together, not alone. And so what kind of friends do you need? Well, let me, let me I want to take a road and, and I want to talk about David. And many of you know David. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. A lot of the songs we sing were founded and rooted in the Psalms that David wrote. Some of you are familiar with this story, some of you aren't. But the reason why we call David a man after God's own heart, the reason we look back now on history and call him a hero, I would argue, is because of the friends he had in his life. So what kind of friends do you need? Number one, you need a friend who's going to make you better. I've already hit on this, but you need a friend who's going to make you better. And David had a friend named Samuel. You need a Samuel. You need a Samuel in your life because here's, here's what happens. In this time when David, before we know him as King David and all this stuff, there was a man by the name of Saul. Now, not Saul that I was talking about earlier in the New Testament, but there was an evil king, so we call, named Saul in the Old Testament. And, and this king was vicious. And so what God decided to do was remove his anointing to take his spirit away from King Saul. And he appointed a prophet named Samuel to go and decide and pick who the next king of Israel would be. And so he says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and, and, and you're going to know who he is when you're there, and I want you to appoint him as the next king. And so he walks up, and he goes into the house of Jesse, and he's seeing all of his sons, and he looks at the oldest one that's tall, dark, and handsome, and he's like, oh, that's got to be him. That's him. And God says, nope. 
He goes to the second brother. He's like, oh, it's got to be him. Then he's like, nope. He's like, here's the problem, Samuel. You're looking at what's on the outside, but I look at what's on the inside. How many of you have heard that before? This is where it comes from, that God looks at the heart. And so then he makes his way through all of the siblings, and then he finds a little boy out in a field named David. And Samuel picks David. Not even his own dad, not his own brothers, ever thought that he would be made king. And so here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 12. It says, And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. I've chosen David. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. You may be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. So at this moment, David then steps into king. And he's a much better king than Saul ever was. And so not only do you need someone who's going to make you better, that's going to believe the best about you, you need a friend. You need a friend who's going to help you find spiritual strength. You need a friend who's going to help you find spiritual strength. And so as David is the king, he, it says that he was a war hero, that Saul slain 1,000s and David slain ten, tens of thousands. He was so, so loved, so well-liked that women began to write songs about him in order to try to get him into bed. And so Saul was jealous. And so Saul decides, I'm going to go after him and I'm going to kill him so that he can't step into his kingdom. And so here's what happens. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. The very man who was trying to kill him, his son Jonathan, went and found David and helped him find strength in God to remind him of God's promise, to remind him of God's anointing. You need a friend who's going to help you find spiritual strength when you don't have it. You are going to be tempted. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You need somebody who's going to come there, come to you and lift you up and remind you of God's plan and purpose for your life that will remind you of who you are, not who you're not. And the reason some of us are having such a hard time with figuring out our calling is because we've listened to everybody else tell us who we are. It's Saul syndrome. They don't want the best for you. They want the best for them. And so they will do whatever it takes to take you out. So you need a friend like Jonathan who is going to help you find strength in the Lord. So you need a friend who will make you better. You need a friend who's going to help you find strength. And then you need a friend who's going to tell you the truth. And let me tell you why. Because David becomes king. He has this massive palace. And scripture says that at the time kings were supposed to go out to war, David sends his army. But instead of going to war, he stayed in bed. Bad decision. Somebody say bad decision. <clears throat> he was supposed to be in battle, but he was in bed, if you want alliteration. And so he stays in bed, he wakes up, all of his men are out at war, he walks up, he gets on top of his palace, he's looking out over all of his palace, admiring his kingdom, and all, the, all of a sudden he sees a woman bathing naked on a roof. Praise God, that don't happen no more. Come on. And he sees this woman named Bathsheba, which is ironic, taking a bath, and so he calls a servant and he says, hey, who's that? I like what I see. I need you to, and, he, and the servant goes, hey, that's Bathsheba. That's the wife of your soldier, of your friend Uriah, that's at battle 
where you're supposed to be. And he says, I, I don't care. Go find her. Bring her to me. And so David sleeps with Bathsheba. And then he finds out she's pregnant. Uh-oh. So he's like, well, what am I going to do? Oh, I know. I'm going to send for Uriah. Tell him to come home. I'm going to try to get Uriah drunk. I'm going to try to get him to sleep with his wife. So then he thinks that he's the baby daddy, but really he's not the baby daddy because I'm the baby daddy. But I'm going to try to do it anyway. So he gets, he gets Uriah home. Uriah doesn't get drunk. He won't sleep with his wife. He's like, no, I'm a man of integrity. I'm going out to fight the battle because that's what God called me to do. So he leaves. So before he leaves, David hands him a letter, says, take it to your commander. And in that letter, commanded his death. He puts Uriah on the front lines and is killed in battle. And then a man named Nathan comes into the picture. You need a friend that'll tell you the truth. And Nathan begins to talk to David, and he says, let me tell you a story that God put in my heart. He says, there was this really rich man that had this massive kingdom, and he had all of the cattle and all of the sheep he could imagine. And then there was a poor man, and this poor man had one little lamb. Not Mary had a little lamb, just little lamb, okay? And so he had one little lamb. Y'all are making me work today. Ain't no preacher jokes landed. Come on. One little lamb. It was like his pet. He loved it. It's the only lamb he had. And so then a traveler comes in and says, I'm hungry. Tells the rich man, I'm hungry. And so instead of going and killing one of the thousands of sheep he had, he went and he took the only lamb that the poor man had, killed it, fed it to the follower. And then David speaks up to Nathan and says, shame on him. He should be put to death. And then Nathan looks him right in the eyes and he says, you are the man. You need somebody who's going to tell you the truth. You need somebody who really knows you and will know you. That knows who you are, knows your deepest temptations, knows what you're struggling with, knows what's going on, and won't just tell you what you want to hear because that's not what's best for you. You need, you need somebody who's going to know you and then know you, N-O-U. Like when you're tempted to do something, look at you and like, no, nah, bro, that's not who you are. You call yourself a Christian, you're not going to act like that. Not here. Not if I'm your friend. I'm not going to watch you fall and just let it happen. I'm going to make sure you don't fall. That's what a friend does. Amen? So you need a friend who's going to make you better. It's going to help you find spiritual strength. And a friend that's going to tell you the truth. And so then here's the last question you need to ask yourself. What kind of friend are you? What kind of friend do you have? kind of friends do you need but what kind of friend are you because if you want good friends you got to be a good friend because bad company corrupts good character so first corinthians 15 says that bad company corrupts good character it, i'm gonna be gentle when i say this but sometimes we look around and we see the people around us and we think everybody else is the problem but if all of a sudden you're surrounded by people with bad character, maybe you got bad character. Because bad company corrupts good character. You can want what's best for your life. You can have dreams. You can have hopes. You can have aspirations. You can have all the money in the world. You can have all you want. But if you surround yourself with people who aren't going to make you better, who aren't going to help you find strength in God, and who won't tell you the truth, You'll always fail because your friends will determine your future. Your friends will determine whether you live in freedom or stay in bondage. 
Your community is contagious. And so what kind of friends do you have? What kind of friends do you need? And what kind of friend are you? And see, I think if we're all just being honest, when I evaluate myself in this, I'm missing some of those, aren't you? If you were to look around, you would go, who do I have in my life making me better? You may have a couple people. Who will tell me the truth? You probably have less. Who's going to help you find spiritual strength? You may not have any. But I'm telling you that if you want to walk in freedom and live out your purpose in this life, your community is everything. Don't do it alone. So the truth is, is when I ask myself, what kind of friend am I? A lot of times, not very good one. I haven't always been there for the people I say I love. I don't always pick up the phone and call people. I I don't always respond to text messages. I'm going to be honest with you. I suck at responding to text messages. Everybody on our dream team shaking their head. Yes, amen. Y'all talking too loud. Calm down. I'm not always the best friend that I want to be. And here's the reality. You have that choice. It's a choice that you have to make. You got to decide. And and so let me say it like this. All of us have not been very good friends. We've all lied. We've all been dishonest. We've all manipulated people. We've all been bad examples. We've all turned our back on people. We've all stabbed others in the back. We've been jealous. We've been rude. We've been short-tempered. We've been unwilling to forgive. But I want to tell you about a friend that even when you've done all those things to him, he would never do them to you. I want to tell you about a friend who will always have your back. About a friend who always will believe the best. A friend that will always push you higher. A friend that will never tempt you to sin. A friend that will always love you. A friend that sees you in your darkest moments and instead of running away, runs to it. I want to tell you about a friend who knows everything about you. And even when you failed him, he chose not to fail you. And his name is Jesus. I want to tell you about a friend who sees you as you are, loves you as you are, will save you as you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you as you are. Amen. How many of you are thankful for that? The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is who you choose to do life with. John chapter 15, Jesus says that I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master's doing. It's not about your performance for him. He says, but I call you friends. No longer servant, but friend. And he has called you and pointed you that you would go and bear fruit. What does that mean? It means that he wants you to grow. He wants you to flourish. He wants what's best for you in this life. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that he's trying to make your life boring, stopping you from having any fun, trying to change everything about the music you listen to and the clothes you wear and all that. Listen, listen. He doesn't judge you on the outside. He looks at your heart. And he says, I love you anyway. So he says, I want to do life with you. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and give you life abundantly. And so today you get to choose who you will do life with. Jesus chose you. And so if you haven't made that decision today, you have to make a choice. We choose to do life with him.
He calls you friend. So will you call him friend too? And so today, right now, I wanna give you the opportunity that if you've never accepted that friendship, you've never accepted that grace, that love from Jesus, I wanna give you the opportunity to say yes to him today, to make the choice, believing that by him and him alone, you can be forgiven and free. For others of you, your next step may be baptism. It may be everybody's next step. Because what this means, this doesn't mean salvation. This isn't how you're saved. This came from the same water out the hose that you get at home. But, but what this means is that you said yes to Jesus, and now I want everyone to know that I'm a friend of Jesus. That I identify with him, that me and him are friends, that you and I are friends. This is you saying, I want to be a part of the family of God, and I want everybody to know. I'm inviting everyone to be the friend that makes me better, to be the friend that makes me find spiritual strength, and to be the friend that will tell me the truth. That's what baptism is about. And so if your faith has been private, I want to encourage you today to take the next step and go public with your faith through baptism. Like Josh mentioned earlier, we have everything you need. We have towels, we have shorts, we have shirts. And we want to celebrate the life change that God is doing in your life today. And so right now, here's what I would love. I would love for you to stand to your feet with me. I would love for you to pray. And if you want to make that decision to give your life to Jesus today, you can pray this with me out loud or in your spirit. Or if you make the decision that you want to get baptized, these doors are going to open in just a second. Our dream team is going to be out here. If you want to get baptized, you can go right through here in the lobby. They'll have stuff with you. You can change. You can come right back in here and get baptized. But we got some people who have made this decision today, and we want to celebrate with them. Amen? So, hey, pray this with me. Stretch your hand towards heaven. Say, God, I love you. I thank you for being my friend. Today, I believe that you died on the cross for me and that you rose from the grave so that I can be forgiven and set free. Thank you for being my friend. I choose to be yours for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, will you put your hands together for everyone who said yes to Jesus for the first time? Come on. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. I hope it encouraged you. We would love the opportunity to pray for you send an email to info at renovation.church. And if you would like to partner with us financially and help us reach people with the message of Jesus, you can do so at renovation.church slash give. Have a great day.